TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! <laughs> We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, All that right, blew I'll- me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 509, and I'm Olivia, your host, and this week we have returning guests. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm professor of communication and media studies at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. Hey, this is Peter. I write for Why So Blue, um, and I live in Hollywood. Hi, this is Isan, coming to you from Los Angeles, costume designer and TV enthusiast. All right, let's start off with the news. First up, I have the cursed has been cursed and canceled after only one season at Netflix. And considering I didn't even finish the first season, I'm not really upset about that. It was not good. No, it was it was very mediocre. Um, Misha Green, after Lovecraft Country's cancellation, just got an overall deal with Apple TV+. They were like, all right, HBO, if you don't want her, we'll take her. And they gave her lots and lots of money. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is going to play FDR on Showtime, and that just boggles my mind. I don't understand how that is good casting. They don't resemble each other in the slightest, nor are their temperaments, from what I understand about FDR, any somewhat similar at all. I feel like that's like a really big miscast. Um, and then I have that... Oh, Evil has been renewed for season three. All right, Tom? And that's part of... Uh, Robert and Michelle King signed a new five-year deal with CBS Studios. So, and they've been there for a while and have the hit shows to prove it. Okay, Amazon has greenlit a second season of Good Omens. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's, uh, the the new season, I think it's either four or five, has added Kelly Bishop from Gilmore Girls, and they're going to stream the anime hit Evangelion Thrice Upon a Time. AMC ordered a Dark Winds adaptation from producers George R.R. R. Martin and Robert Redford. Guess we're not getting that Game of Thrones book yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, he's got it locked in a vault. He's already written it. It's locked in a vault. He doesn't want it coming out until he's dead so that people can't start storming his house. Um, Dominic Monaghan is going to star in a futuristic drama Moonhaven also for AMC. Apple TV Plus ordered an adaptation of City on Fire from showrunners Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, formerly of the OC and also the original Gossip Girl. Joel Kim Booster is joining Maya Rudolph in her untitled comedy series for Apple. Disney Plus, big news. Loki's series premiere garnered 731 million minutes, which translate to 14 million Disney Plus accounts. That's for the first week. And then Black Widow this weekend made $80 million at the box office and $60 million on Disney+. Plus. So wow. Somehow, I don't think that that, that premiere access is going to be going anywhere yet. Seriously. Uh, uh, Freeform's Cruel Summer has lost their showrunner, Burt V. Royal. He will no longer be affiliated with the series because of creative differences. Hallmark announced that The Good Witch is ending after seven seasons. HBO Max picked up Made for Love for season two and announced that Jeff Goldblum will join Search Party for season five. IMDb TV is eyeing a third season pickup of For Life, 
because they're going to stream the first two seasons. Netflix also canceled the comedies Bonding, Country Comfort, The Crew, and Mr. Iglesias. Uh, Red Notice, a comedic action thriller starring Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot, will premiere this fall. Uzo Aduba and Matthew Broderick have been cast in the Opioid Crisis limited series Painkiller. The Witcher Blood Origin prequel series has cast Michelle Yeoh. Timothy Oliphant and Justin Cornwell are going to join Tom Hardy in the action thriller Havoc. Zack Snyder is going to make a sci-fi epic Rebel Moon. And they have extended their deal with Shonda Rhimes to include feature films, gaming, and virtual reality content. Uh, at Peacock, the Joe Exotic miniseries has cast Kyle MacLachlan as Howard Baskin. And Universal is moving their pay TV film licensing deal from HBO to Peacock which I'm surprised it took them this long to figure that out. And that's it. Yeah, you found all the news. All right, let's start off with the shows. First up, we're going to talk about... I almost did it again. Not Gilmore Girls. We're going to talk about Gossip Girls. Totally different show. And this is the reboot that launched on, I want to say, HBO. Is that right? HBO Max. All right, you guys take over because I never watched the original Gilmore Girls. Good Lord, Gossip Girls. And I have no desire to watch the reboot. So what did you guys think? Go ahead, Tom. Uh, You know, I'm probably not the best person to opine on this because I never watched the original Gossip Girl. All I can say is those were the oldest-looking high school students I've seen since, like, the original 90210. It's like, come on, man. You know, especially since Generation ended, and so they started Gossip Girl to try to capture the audience. Generation cast actors who look like they're in high school, even if they're not. But all these cats look old. Um, you know, it, rely- for, it relies a little bit too much on the original series, for, which I haven't seen, so I know of it. I know who some of the actors and characters were, but unlike other reboots, like Saved by the Bell, which has some of the original members in the cast, or One Day at a Time, which was the complete rethink, this really seemed to depend a lot on the original series. So if you didn't know the original series, you wouldn't be completely lost, but you'd be like, yeah, who cares? Uh, the big twist is... In the original series, the whole thing was we don't know who Gossip Girl is. Kristen Bell did the voiceover, and it turns out to be a dude in the last episode. This one, in the first episode, they established that the teachers are Gossip Girl as part of this revenge against the awful high school students. And the thing that kind of, A, as as a career college professor, I'm like, dude, that's not cool. And second, they basically catch our little, you know, our, our hero the transfer student who's the half-sister of one of the, you know, of one of the upperclassmen who's, you know, really, she's kind of not nice, but kind of nice. But they pretend they don't know each other, but they they planned the whole thing, but their fathers didn't know. Their mother is dead. Um, so that kind of didn't work for me because the, the friends overreacted to her not telling her. And obviously, the whole plot turns on... The um the older sister's boyfriend helps the younger sister because it's pouring down rain. So he just offers. She's in this ridiculously nice dress to hang out, but so he offers to let her chill with the pad and relax. So she takes off her the dress and he gives her a sweat. 
But the teacher, one of the teachers, just happens to be there to take a picture and post it to make it sound like they were getting jiggy. And then all the everybody believes the rumor. And I'm like, oh, come on. Can't we do better than this? So I just thought that they staked the central conflict on the in the first episode on one of those. If people talk to each other, it could be ironed out. And they did talk to each other. And the older sister didn't believe her. But all her friends make her take revenge on a younger. It was just like, oh, come on. I will tell you this, production design is amazing because, you know, these kids are are dressed to the nines and the show looks great. I wish they'd spent a little bit more t- time on the script because I didn't think it was a great way to introduce Gossip Girl to an audience who hasn't seen the original. Uh, Peter? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree pretty much with everything Tom's saying. I, I, I did watch the original Gossip Girl. Um, I watched the first couple. I didn't watch all six seasons, but... I watched enough, like when I, I was working at, um, I was working at E Entertainment in the 2000s, and it was a very popular show among people, at the same staff that I, you know, department I was in. So we all talked about it, um, and I just looked it up, because about the age thing that Tom was talking about, because I was like, well, CW shows they never really look like teenagers. It's like Elena and uh, so I was like, is it that big of a deal that these kids don't look like teenagers? However, I will say Jordan Alexander, who is the, she's the lead on the new Gossip Girl. She's 27 now. Oh, technically because of the pandemic, maybe they shot this two years ago. I don't know, but she is right now. She's 27 years old. Blake Lively was 19. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Blake Lively was closer to a real teenager. And yeah, Um, because yes, I definitely was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, they really don't see it. Like they're, they almost seem more like college kids, but they're they're acting like high school kids. Like, so it's kind of a weird, I think my biggest thing though, is that despite all this criticism, I do like the production value. I do like the world of Gossip Girl. I like the Manhattan elite kids and all. I do like that stuff. So because of that, I will probably watch a few more episodes to see where it goes. I might not stick with it, but I was like, because of the, just because of the subject matter and, and the production value, and actually to be fair, and I think Tom, you would agree, while the cast is older, I don't think they're bad actors. It's just, they don't look like teenagers, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and then the only other thing I'll say is that, you know, this is a different time. You know, Gossip Girl was made in 2007. This is 2020, this is 2021. I think what's happening is that in Gossip Girl, the show by the guy who made the OC, I forgot what his name is. Tom, what's his name? Josh Schwartz. I think Josh Schwartz was making a show about privileged kids. Some of them are jerks. Some of them were supposed to kind of like, and it was fine. I think the problem now is that we are so aware of privilege in the world we live in now. So... I think it feels like the writers are very aware of that. So they don't really want to make any of the privileged kids very likable. So they're all pretty terrible. And I guess I feel like when I watched the original Gossip Girl back in the day, yeah, of course there was a little guilty pleasure to it. There was a fact of like, oh my God, these kids are so wealthy. They're so spoiled. But I didn't think the, I feel like the show still cared about the characters. I feel like in the world we live in now, the show can't really do that 
because it wants to feel like, no, 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 we realize that these people are very privileged and spoiled. So they have characters talk about that. And I guess I'm just like, yeah, that's more realistic, but now it's it's hard for me to warm up to the characters because of that. And so, it's, well, except for the main girl, the the young one who's not rich, obviously she's very likable, but... So I think it's a, I thought it was kind of a mediocre pilot, but I will probably keep watching a little while longer. Okay. Uh, I, I want a special episode where the teachers get caught and fired. Well, yeah. <laughs> Taking yeah, pictures of the students through the windows? Yeah, that's right, not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Bad Batch, Star Wars Bad Batch. And this episode was the very special standalone episode where if you hadn't seen uh, Star Wars Rebels, you would be a little lost. This was a weird standalone where the cast of Bad Batch only shows up in the episode for like five minutes, you know? And the rest of the episode is basically an origin story for the character of Hera, who is a main character on Rebels. And and it's the younger version, although played by the same actor. <laughs> well, yes, she's obviously younger. She's like... 10 or 11 or something. I mean, she's a, yeah. she's a kid versus a, a young adult. Right, exactly. And I love Harris' character. She's On the show, she's always so confident and she knows what she's doing. And they had an episode on Rebels where we find out the backstory about what happened to her parents and that they were arrested and all this other stuff. And it's all just like her planet's occupied. And you, you, know, you kind of wonder a little bit about it. But I don't know if I needed this episode. Uh, where we actually see it happen. I just thought it was a weird choice to do an entire episode that is kind of like backstory for an... a character of a show that's already completed. Exactly. It was very strange. I was like, what's happening? And the only thing I can think of is that Hera's gonna sh- the character of Hera is going to show up on one of these new action shows, like live action shows. It's the only reason I can think of that they would do that. Unless... Little Hera ends up hanging with the Bad Batch for a bit. True, but I don't find that particularly likely. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, why did you spend an entire episode about this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It was very strange. And the thing is, it wasn't bad. No, I it, liked it. I did like the episode. It's odd. Yeah. We did get the interaction of, of Hera and Omega together, which was super cute. Fun. Yeah, was fun. That, that was a really good, cute moment. But by the time we get to the end, both of her parents are arrested for treason and it does not look good. My favorite line, and I rerounded to watch it twice, it's like, she's kind of weird. I like her. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and Hera was probably one of my favorites of of Rebels. So, and then we got to see Chopper. I love Chopper. Chopper. Chopper being a little bit more well behaved than when we meet him at Rebels, because he's a... <laughs> oh, that's true. Chopper does whatever he wants in Rebels. Seriously. Um, all right. So uh, overall, it's thumbs up ish because it was a good episode, but it feels like I'm really curious to talk to somebody who's never seen Rebels what they thought of the episode. It was like a lost episode of Rebels. Yes, exactly. It was very strange. Or like a weird crossover. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a crossover episode of Bad Batch. It wasn't even a full crossover, though. It was very strange. Um, All right. Uh, Next up, we're going to talk about the Mysterious Benedict Society. And this episode, they've been instructed to cheat to make sure that all all of their team can stay because apparently once a week, 
one person is cut and gets their mind wiped, and that's okay because mind wiping children is totally fine, right? <laughs> Everything they do to these kids in this episode is not okay. <laughs> and then I was wondering in the in the waiting room. I'm putting that in parentheses. I mean, I could tell the drawing was supposed to kind of mess with your mind, but I was like, was that like a weird interrogation room? It was deliberately designed to totally screw with your sense of time and screw with... Yeah, because yep. I think that clock does not actually work properly. Yeah. So what did you think of the episode? I thought it was interesting. I mean, we're starting to find out. Miss Benedict is really kind of... I mean, dude, they're kids. You're putting them in serious danger. Yeah. And come on, stop. (laughs) I mean, um, um, Sticky gets caught trying to help uh, the the girls cheat. Kate. No, the other girl doesn't cheat. Trying to help Kate cheat because Kate is in danger of being cut. And then uh, he gets busted like almost immediately and after being in the waiting room, completely fesses up. And uh, No, he doesn't break. Remember? He confesses he to cheating, but he doesn't say who he was cheating for. But he revealed who he cheated, he was, who, who, whom he was trying to help, which gets him more time in the waiting room. Right. Um, uh, Benedict's evil twin knows immediately. It's like, you know, Morse code, really? Do you think we're stupid? <laughs> and I was, I was impressed because he was doing it with the eraser, so it was light. It was, I was impressed that they caught that, actually. Um, but that school's weird anyway, so I don't understand. Uh, and I and like then, that the little girl, they were going to help her cheat, and she was like, I guess I'll try. You don't need to help me. And she immediately got herself put at the top ranks because she just hadn't bothered before. She was like, what's the point? <laughs> that girl is hilarious. She's like, how old is that actress? She's got to be young, but she's the, the the hilarious thing is she's introduced as kind of like, the one who doesn't play well with others, but they give her like the best burns. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. She says everything that's out of her mouth is always the funniest no, lines. No filter. No, no. filter. And I think but, she's got to be only like six or seven. She's super young. I, I think she's probably like under 10, but just, you know, looks really young for her age. I don't know, man. Uh, anyway, well, it, she's great. It. The way that SAG rules work, the younger actors are, the less you can work them. So she's probably closer to tennis. Even know. though she, she, uh, yeah, she's really short and she looks super young. Yep. So uh, Kate does end up getting cut, and right. is and is on the way to be barged, and then she passes by the queen bee on tetherball, <laughs> and then she beats her, and then. When the others think that she's being barred and they're saying they're tearful for well, and then Kate pops up, it's like, oh, yeah, she's got some pull because she wanted me for her tetherball tea. That was crazy. I was like, what? That whole scenario was insane. And then we actually spent more time with the adults this week to get to know them a little better. Um, I'm not sure I like them any better because they still seem, the adults still seem very one-dimensional. Um, and I don't trust I kind of don't... Tr- well, I think Benedict's just kind of crazy. Yes. But I don't know what's up with number two. Number two, I think, is just super anal. I think that's her issue, is that she's so anal about doing everything properly and by the book and to help Mr. Benedict that anybody who falls outside of the lines, she finds them suspicious. 
And the other woman just doesn't work the same way she works. And she's like, look, I can't do whatever you're doing. This is how I do stuff. And you need to do some team building. Yes, that's pretty much what needed to happen. But I find the other guy, the guy from uh, Sons of Anarchy, I can't think of that actor's name. Uh, Milligan. Uh, uh, Milligan, Milligan. I find him super interesting. One, because he's playing so opposite to type that he normally plays. And, and he's doing such a good job. And also because of his memory gaps, he says some of the oddest things. And, like, I, I can't, like, pin him down. I feel like if he gets revealed, like, his real personality, he's going to be the opposite of what we're used to. So, huh. but I, I, I find him super interesting. So. He is. And then. And that's a great job. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, when we get to the episode, into the episode, we find a secret passageway that Mr. Benedict is going to send the children into because he's crazy to send tiny children into secret passageways. Uh, anyway. And the two boys are selected for, you know. Messengers. messengers. But I feel like that's a trap. I feel like. Sure, it's a trap. Right. I feel like he suspects them of something, and he wants to keep an eye on them, so he made the messengers to see what they will do. Yep. Uh, anyway, so thumbs up for me. Loving the show. All right, next up, we're going to talk uh, Motherland Fort Salem, and we have two episodes to discuss, the season premiere and also episode two. So in the season premiere, it, it picks up right after the finale, where the girls are actually still alive and walking through desert, but with flowers, and everyone thinks that they're dead. But that only lasts for a minute, and then they get rescued. And also, one of the girls in their team got turned into a biddy. And, uh... Oh, God, what's the general's name? General Adler? She ends up turning her back. But it has a really cool side effect... And that she's still kind of connected to the general, and so she yep. has dreams of the general's memories, which is super... I really like that part of the storyline. Yusin, uh, you haven't talked yet, so what did you think of the premiere? Um, Super strong. You know, uh, I know we talked about it briefly, and I think you thought I was going in the direction of, like, oh, sophomore season is not going to be good. But my point is that I, I'm always scared, and oftentimes I'm tr- it's right that, like, a sophomore season... You know, I know it was just the premiere, but I was really like, oh, God, how is this going to go? So I was more than pleasantly surprised at how strong it was. Um, And I know it was really interesting to me because it's not that I would have been upset if if it had continued to be Spree versus Witches. But I think that it's way more interesting that even though they haven't uh, purposefully done this yet, that it's going to be Spree plus military against the Camarilla. You know what I mean? Like introducing you know combining and introducing like because they are going to be reluctant you know partners or whatever you want to call it so that's also interesting it's not like touchy feely like let's do this together you know what i mean so adding that whole like outside having the i don't know the sergeant colonel you know the teacher you know uh end up going undercover with the spree like opening all of that up is great Um, And so I thought the premiere was exceptionally strong because it brought you right in. It left you right where, you know, it it uh, left off. And then it introduced a whole bunch of stuff. You know what I mean? Their powers, the undercover work, uh, the Camarilla. Like it was packed 
You know, they didn't waste any time. And I think we talked about that with last season, our first season. I I remember us all being iffy about it for the first four or five episodes. And then they just ramped it up, you know, to 10. So, again, super, you know, pleasantly surprised that they did not take their foot off the accelerator. And so, yeah, I thought Premiere was incredibly strong. They introduced new stuff. They backed up stuff that they had, you know, kind of left for us. So, yeah, I got no complaints about the Premiere. I think it's really interesting that they've got Anacostia undercover and quasi working with Scylla. And what's interesting is that in two cases, we've got Alder's not a good person. I mean, we saw... I like her! I'm beginning to like her also. They're they're making her more complex. Well, the character's an interesting character, but still, she was basically fired and she used witchcraft to to not be fired. Right, well, the people that were firing her were dumb. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. Still immoral. Still immoral. Still, still not cool. I know, but I understood where she was coming from. <laughs> you can't fire me. <laughs> I'm going to make you forget that you tried. Yes. And you know what? I just want to jump in that the whole bitty thing is super cool. Like, and it's super you know creepy, I mean? too. All of we, that. No, but we've all seen like vampires, witches, everybody like draining the life force of people, blah, blah, blah. But to just have like a Greek chorus follow you around, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Supercharge yeah. you whenever you want. That is pretty new of a concept for me. Yeah, it, and it I, is. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. And she's got them all convinced that it's serving a higher purpose to basically yeah. feed her their youth. Yeah. Um, you walk around with a battery pack, and I've never seen that before, and that's cool. Yeah, it, it is pretty awesome. And then I like that we are getting to see inside of that by having one of our main characters have been a bitty, and now she's outside, but she's still linked to her in a really interesting yeah. kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tom, you can hum really loud when we talk about the second episode. I, I, I've seen the first two. Oh, okay. So in the second one... What I really liked is that now they're in war college and they, in the first episode, they tested them and they figure out it's only um, the lead girl that Rael, Royal, Royal, whatever her Rael, name is. I think. Uh, she's the only one that actually has the power. It's not both of them. Right. And so we're testing it. We're putting her in chambers. We're doing all this stuff. And they did a practical test to put her in this open field with all this, this, this stonework. And she like collapses buildings with her powers and then a nice garden shows up but it was pretty awesome just to see the scope of her po- like they basically took her up a power level because whatever that plant thing is like went into her throat and like rebuilt her vocal cords that was pretty that was pretty impressive um I but think that's episode three the showing of the thing, uh, showing of her powers in front of... I mean, Tom, you saw two. Did you see that in two? Oh, maybe I'm ahead. Sorry. Uh, go ahead, Tom. Tom, what did you remember? Because I don't want to jump ahead either. Basically, them getting to war college and this whole thing with the dude with, uh, with uh, what's-her-face's... I want to say, is it Ab- Abigail's kind of boyfriend? What about oh, her right. boyfriend? Yeah, what about it? The, the whole thing that he's he's with them, but his little sister basically oh, yeah. doesn't care, yeah. and 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 is saying that you know, 
I'm just trying to figure out what is her deal. Does she just not trust them, or is she just wary of being... I, I got an impression. From last season, there, there was an indication that she might be being controlled by something else. Oh. From what I recall from last season, there's this moment where she's like in the woods, and there's some tendril of something connecting with her, and she stopped acting like a child. She started acting like an adult, and it was yeah. weird. And I'm not 100% what her agenda is, and I don't trust her. So. Me neither. I and her. I also don't like her. Like, I don't like <laughs> Sorry, I just don't. I just I'm don't. not disagreeing with you. I think she's supposed to be a pretty much unlikable character. So I think that's, yeah. that's pretty correct. But I do like that they were now in war college, and we have different curriculum. We have a different sergeant that's in charge. And I also like that the general is now kind of their commanding officer. They were, so everybody's like, oh, they're the general's problem now. Um, so that's kind of cool that the general had. Because in first season, she had almost no interaction with them. And so what I really like in this season is she is, she is now part of that. Their, their stories are together now. Well, she's at the top of their chain of command. So Right. But like I said, also, they Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, also, can I just say, I just remembered, uh, that, like, talking dead head covered in mushrooms was creepy. So creepy. I was like, where is this show going? This is not what I wanted. (laughs) Um, But legit, I can, you know, I can recognize that was really cool and gross. Um, and, And that's the other thing. I think it is germane to this conversation that it isn't a light show. It isn't a fluffy, you know, girl show wearing, you know, overly sexualized, you know, costumes and you, you know what I mean? It's They're a all wearing uniforms, show. yeah. No, no, I'm saying, like, even when they did the dance and, look, they involve sex. They have, like, the, that episode where they're, you know, they got to be matched so they can make more witches and that special dance where they have sex so they can power up and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, even with those elements, I feel like none of it's remotely exploitative. I, I talked about this last season about how I do really feel like they they're doing a great job of not making this like you know it's a feminist show it's it's kind of you know women with agency and power even though the recruits don't have it necessarily but that's because of their circumstances but they're all you know they're headstrong you know what I mean they make their choices they you know so I just I I think it's a great show for for girls to watch you know uh you you know what I mean it's for everyone I don't want to scare people off I don't want to scare people off but with a show that has three you know girl leads um I just feel like it's it's just really uh strong you know what I mean I I see yeah yeah, I get what you mean And, and that's not always necessarily true you know, and it isn't about getting the boy and it isn't about, you know what I mean? It's it's not a princess fantasy. I mean, it's just really women kind of sitting in their power and trying to figure things out and solve things. And, you know, and men are there, but kind of sort of to be like, you, per, you know, used for purposes. You know what I mean? Although I will say that I do, I don't mind that they added the guy, you know, at War College because they do talk about men also having the power or powers. You know what I mean? So that might create an interesting dynamic. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm not a man hater, 
So, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not. But, you know, but, but, not. but let's no. let's let's wrap this one up, though. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. The show no. passes the video test with it. Def- yes, absolutely, it absolutely does. Did y'all notice that Amanda Tapping from Stargate SG One is one of their executive producers? I yes, did. Yes, I did. Because I, I got Amanda Tapping on my head right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on. Thumbs up. Definitely Motherland. If you're not watching, you should be. Next up, we're going to talk about Resident Evil, the animated TV show, not the live action. And Peter, since you are our Resident Evil expert, uh, can you kick us off? Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's a, it's a four episode season. I watched the whole season. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. I only watched the first one. It feels like what I'm. <clears throat> this is just my um, guess, but Netflix. I I think Netflix made a big deal with Capcom. Capcom is the company that makes Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, Street Fighter. There's like a lot of brands like, like that they have, and they have a Devil May Cry series, animated series, which I've heard is pretty good. Uh, I haven't seen it, so they made a big deal with Resident Evil. They're gonna have a live action show um, coming probably in 2022. I have a feeling that Capcom had made this movie because they've made computer-generated movies before that are they're essentially like the direct-to-video like equivalent. So they've made those before. So I keep thinking that basically they were working on this, and when Netflix basically was like, "Oh, we want to do, we want the Resident Evil brand on Netflix," they were like, "Oh, well, you can air this before because the show is going to take a, the other show is going to take a while." So I keep thinking it's really a two-hour movie that they just split up. Because when you watch it, it it doesn't really feel like a show. It feels just like, oh, it's just, just like a movie. Um, so anyways, with, with that out of the way, if you're a fan of the series, um, Resident Evil 2 and 3, the, the new remakes, the people who voice the characters of um, Claire Redfield and I think Leon, I might be wrong on Leon, but definitely Claire, if you play the recent games, the woman who does the voice for Claire is the same person in this show, but she looks a little different, which I thought was kind of weird. I was like, well, it's the same voice. But why does she look different? I guess it's supposed to be like seven years after Resident Evil. T- the original Resident Evil takes place around like 98. I think this is supposed to be, I think, 2006 or 2007. Um, you know, Resident Evil has never been big on like they have really contrived plots and everything. So. I kind of felt that if you didn't know anything about Resident Evil, you'd probably be lost. You know, like there's a shot where the president is looking at his picture of his daughter. And we know that in Resident Evil 4, that was like the big thing was that Leon has to save the president's daughter. So, Libby, well, I they, know you they do you tell you that. Girl. Like, um, what? well, they do tell you that when I was when you're watching oh, the first episode, they're like Leon, the savior of the president's daughter. Oh, that's true. You know, what? that's an example where they actually did give you backstory. But. You know, I don't know. It. I feel like it's okay. It's. I mean, actually, it's not okay. It's kind of mediocre. Like I. That I is what I felt as well. I think some of the graphics are nice. Some of the graphics like are like, oh, this looks pretty good. Other stuff I think looks really stiff, like the character movements uh, and everything. But my biggest thing about it is that the Resident Evil movies with Miljovic are really pretty different than the games. So when you watch them, they're just like these bonkers 2000s sci-fi stuff. This is connected to the game lore. And it's, I will say that because it's so computer generated looking, it's hard not to think of it as like a cutscene and not to think 
like there's a scene there's a scene in episode two where Leon is in a corridor and there's these zombie rats that like he has to get by. And he's like looking around, how's he going to get past these zombie rats? And he jumps up and he throws an ax at like some um, like a uh, power box. And what happens is it electrifies the floor. So he, he basically is hanging from the ceiling and it kills the rats. And all I'm thinking of is, wow, that would have taken me like six times to figure that out in the game. <laughs> like, so... Wait a minute. If he electrifies, how does he unelectrify because the Because he's holding... He's, he's hanging from the ceiling. But and then, so like the, and the floor gets electrified. Right. But then how does the floor get unelectrified? Oh, you know, he just jumps over it. I don't know. Like, he just... Oh, okay. You know what? You're right. How did he do that? Because oh, I was he, like, I, yeah, that's oh, great. He, he did, but now he's stuck hanging from the no, ceiling. No, 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 It's because it's, I think, if I'm right, it's more like a big shock. So it's like, and then it, and then, and then it runs out of power. So okay. it's enough to kill him. It's enough to kill the monsters. And then he can just jump down. I, I will tell you, that's not how electricity works, but go ahead. Right. <laughs> um, so like you know if you if you're a fan of Leon and Claire and stuff it's like yeah you get to see them and this takes place between Resident Evil Four and Resident Evil Five if you're a fan I'd say sure put it on in the background but eh, yeah I mean I will say it'll be very interesting when we get to the live action because one we're gonna have Lance Reddick as Albert Wesker which I can't wait but two like people on this podcast you know we have been big Walking Dead fans and fear the Walking Dead and everything for a long time. And it's really occurring to me watching this version where I can't play Resident Evil. The world of Resident Evil is filled with characters that are very powerful because it's a video game. So, like, every character is, like, some special ops thing. I mean, Claire isn't, but she sort of is. Walking Dead and the upcoming Last of Us, that is not like that. In the world of Walking Dead, except for Rick and Shane, who are cops, as I recall, most people in The Walking Dead are just normal people that are doing what they can to survive. In the world of Resident Evil, there's zombies, but you have so much, like, you know, you've got grenade except for, launchers. Except for Abraham, who is a military guy. Correct, correct. You are, yes. Also, the other thing, too, is that, like, in the world of Walking Dead, the zombies are, like, you know, you get seven years into that show, the, the bodies are deteriorating in... Resident Evil, that doesn't really happen because it's more like they're a zombie, but then maybe there's like a monster version. And it's just, I don't be, it'll be, I think it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic of like how they take these powerful fantasy, these power characters that are fantasies in video games and then try to make them like normal people. Like that'll be interesting. I mean, I hope they can pull it off, but they did not in this. Uh, in <laughs> darkness. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a thumbs down. I mean, I, I like Resident Evil, but I can't really say it's great or anything. Well, I, I watched the first episode because I knew you were going to watch it, and I was not impressed and did not hit play on episode two. So, But you are interested in the live-action show. Yeah, well, I like Lance Reddick, and yeah, because well, I like the movies, so yeah, I'm interested. Um, but let's move on. Um, next up, we're going to talk about The Republic of Sarah, which is a show that premiered on The CW about three or four weeks ago that I had never heard of before. And I don't know how I heard of it now, but I did, and I watched the premiere, and I was like, I kind of really like it. I was really surprised at how much I like the show, and it's just... The premise is kind of bizarre in that it's a small town on the border between Canada and the U.S., 
and this mining company comes through and is going to like rip the town apart looking for some mineral to make computer chips and this school teacher Sarah comes up with a way to save the town which I thought was innovative, creative, and kind of cool. Um, and I like her. I like her friends. And then she's got she's teaching a class, and so we spend some time with some of her students. And for the most part, I like her students as well. So I, I think overall, it was a good start for the pilot in that all the characters are at least interesting, charismatic, and... Uh, I was kind of like, all right, I don't know where we're going, but let's go. Uh, Peter, you also watched. What did you think? I was, I didn't, I only saw the pilot. I think it's a good idea for a show, and I think the actress playing Sarah is pretty compelling. Like, she is not, she plays a teacher, but she's, like, kind of young enough that she's still kind of hip with the kids, and... Um, or as I think you told me off podcast, at least to us, hip with the kids. Like, <laughs> you talked about Jason Momoa. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can relate to that. But it's like, who knows? Maybe kids would be like, oh, that's old. I don't know. Like, um, But I think she's very relatable. Like, and like Gilmore Girls or a lot of other small town CW shows, like the supporting cast of her friends and stuff. Yeah, they're all pretty likable. My issue with the pilot, which I know you said changes, is that. The premise of this show is that basically you have found out that their town is in this weird thing where they can sort of become a republic and be somewhat separate from the United States. Um, but hopefully they're not like Waco crazy militia people. They're not that, obviously. Um, but well, you like, find out that the only reason they're doing it is to stop this mining company from ripping right. their town apart. And I and my, I guess my issue in the pilot is that the mining company is pretty – they're pretty evil, and it's funny because, like, on Lois and Clark, or not they Lois and Clark, also had a mining. Lo- they, you mean you mean Superman and, Superman Lois. and Lois? I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> on Superman and Lois. There's also like a mining thing where they want to, like, obviously they want the Krypton or whatever. They want to take over the town and everything. But it, like, it's funny because I felt like, I felt like in that at least there was a conversation between Lois and one of her like, is it like her girlfriend's friend's husband or something like that? And he seems kind of like, like, I don't like him, but he's like, well, maybe it's good for the town. I was like, okay, you're kind of having a conversation about, even though we know ultimately it's not good, it's like, could this be good? In this, it's like, no, these people are super greedy. They're super corporate. They, they in her brother, who's part of the corporate side, he's pretty much like, I don't care about these people losing their homes from like frame one. And so for me in the pilot, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, it's just so... These people are so extreme. Um, but you told me that that is not the show, that that no. is pretty quickly resolved. And so, and if that's true, then yes, I could see watching it. Because I do like her and the cast. I just thought that the, what they needed as the antagonist, I was like, oh my God. I was like, it's, they're, it's, really, it's, it's, really, it's, they're not, 11, you know? they're not like, the antagonist. They're literally the catalyst. Well, what they, would you say the antagonist is then? Uh, I'm not entirely, well, basically kind of the U.S. government, really, because the U.S. government does not like towns seceding from the Union. That's <laughs> that's not something that they're in favor of. Didn't so, you say that they resolved that quickly, too? Because at the end of the pilot, no, she gets they, arrested. Yes, she gets arrested. They resolve the court case, but, because the court is like, yes, what she did was legal. 
the problem is the government still doesn't like a city seceding from the Union, so they try different things. And, and really what the show is about is about Sarah figuring out how are they going to get the things that they need if they're now an independent com- country. How do they get supplies? How do they now they got to like negotiate treaties? Like, do they need a standing arm? Like, you know what I'm saying? They have all these things that they have to think about now that they're their own rep- independent republic. That's really what the show's about. Because the mining company, once she makes declares their independence, the mining company has to leave. That's done. By the end, you know, by the beginning of episode two, that's done. That's over. So really the issue is her and her friends working together to figure out how to form a government. And well, I mean, that could and like and and like I said, that actually could be interesting. Like, well, what would it be like if like well-intentioned people wanted to create their own republic? And that's an interesting idea, I think. And I think she's good. Yeah. So I so far, thumbs up for me. All right. Let's uh, move on. Next up. We're going to talk uh, Generation, and I did not get to see the finale, so we're going to talk about the episodes leading up to the finale. And, Tom, you have to remember where the where it ends. It ends in episode 15 at that pre-party where they're taking pictures by the pool. And, oh, and Yeah, so the pre-party is where the last thing that I've seen. But building up to it, what I would have to say from the last episode we talked about they had several episodes about characters I did not care about, which was weird. Because the strength of the show is Chester, and I like uh, Nathan, I like what's going on with him, I like Riley. Uh, but then once you get too far off that main group, I start to care less about some of the kids. And so they had an episode that was all about Greta. And whether or not she was in love with the right... Like, Greta's so indecisive, and her acting is just so... She's borderline. She's not the greatest of the actors on the show. And so having an entire episode about... Is she, does she like the right girl? And she's bringing both... Oh, my God! Hapsti- you know, slapstick stuff. She brought both of them over to her house for dinner. And uh, and it's just, like, awkward. And I was like, ah, oh, Boring. Like all of that, and then her mom trying to be super cheerful, and just all of that was just put me to sleep. Like right now. You mean her aunt? No, her mom. Remember, her mom came back to the country, oh, yeah, yeah, and her yeah, mom yeah. wants to meet everybody, so they have dinner. And I, I don't care about any of that at all. So that episode, I could have been, you know, doing laundry and doing all kinds of other things other than watching that. And then the next one was almost just as bad, which was about... It's not Naomi. It's Naomi's friend, the black girl. What's the black girl's name? Mm, I can't remember. Ariana. There you go. So it was Ariana's point of view about her trio of friends and how both of them decide to date the same guy, but now she feels left out because she's not in the crew, and I don't care. Ariana is the least... She's a psychopath. If she turns around and kills somebody, I would not be surprised. Go ahead. Ariana goes a long way for me. Thank you. I mean, somebody who's got two dads shouldn't be making homophobic comments. I just thought. And and, and just and the, off, well, I can't be homophobic because I have two dads. It's like no, yeah, you can. Oh, wait a minute. I haven't. Hold on. I haven't seen Generation 
since like the first two episodes. I remember that character. She's still doing that. Yes. I she grown. No. That she says that at like the party that the Justin Smith character. She's like, oh, it's okay because I have two dads, and I was like, oh, it's not. It's really not okay. Exactly. She's still doing that. Like she's still obnoxious. But she no does no, But she doesn't. She doesn't specifically make a homophobic comment in these episodes. But what it is is she's talking to her dads, and the way she's talking to them is just like, oh my god, someone slap. And I feel like. Grateful. She's ungrateful. She's super ungrateful, and but I feel no like other characters have ever brought it up with her and been like, "Hey, man, why are you like?" I'm. That hasn't happened. They kind of do, but she ignores them. She's like I said, I think she's a psychopath. Like she, <laughs> if she murdered all her friends, I, like I would not be surprised at all. Like she, the things she says and does, like when they were in the lockdown, she recorded a video of her pretending that the gunmen were in the room and she was terrified. And she totally made it up, and she sent it to her parents. Like it was, I was like, "Who does that?" Wait, wouldn't that terrify their parents? Yes, exactly. Yes. She did it on purpose. Why was she trying to get something? No, she is just evil. She is not a good person. She is not a good person. Self-absorbed, and with this group of characters, that's saying a lot. Yes, she is just she's way over the top. I can't stand her. And so they have an episode that's all about her, and I wanted to shoot myself because let's let's, let's skip to the next one, which I thought was a lot of fun. Okay, that's good about Hamburger Marys. Oh yeah, well they had the karaoke night. Yeah, the yeah. Karaoke night, and oh my gosh, Martha Plimpton butchers a song, and they play the whole thing. The like her. Yeah, but she's she's homophobic. She finds she, out that her son. She, well, she usually plays nice people. She's she is she's, not nice. She is not nice. Not nice she is not nice. Really? She's trying to be a quote unquote good mother. She's a terrible she, mother. She's pretty awful. Yeah, so she finds out her son Nathan is. Is a, is bi bisexual, but he's really not. He's really gay. Like he he says he's bisexual, but he I don't believe him. Um, but when he comes out to his mom and tells her that he likes guys, she doesn't believe him. She gives him just such a hard time. So he pretends that one of his classmates is his boyfriend. But the problem, of course, is he's in love with that guy, and that guy's not interested in him at all. And so, Chester has a boyfriend. And Chester has a boyfriend. So of course that blows up and is terrible but uh she is so horrible that even her husband is like they're at a suicide prevention gala about parents not being you know treating their children who come out to them well and they commit suicide they're supposed to be raising money for that and she's like i can't be here because my son's gay and i can't deal with it and i was like so you're gonna then give him reason to commit suicide at the suicide prevention thing like what Oh my god, I hate her character so much. <laughs> I hate her so much. I mean, you're supposed to. The uh, but the episode was fun because Chester basically agrees to, or, or Chester, uh, Nathan recruits Chester to go on another fake date in front of the mom because the mom won't drop the fact that they were supposed to have mommy mommy Sunday date night, which is also I agree with him is kind of creepy. Which is creepy for somebody that old. Yeah. Uh, but they all end up in the uh, in the, the gay bar for this. Uh, they're raising money for tribute thing. And the aunt is uh, uh, hosting aunt. it. Yeah, it's hosting it. But that, that's, that's, that was a fun episode. Um, why don't we 
the next episode was the Riley centric episode, and it's just heartbreaking because Riley has a conversation with her mom, a very well cast Alicia Capola, by the way, who character actor you've seen in, in tons of stuff, including the Voyager pilot from way back when. But basically, we find out that Riley's dad and his girlfriend are moving to Reno. And Riley's mom wants her to go with them. Because she doesn't want her anymore. And that puts Riley in a tailspin. And she won't talk to anybody about what's going on. And Sam, poor Sam, the guidance counselor, trying to do everything right. Yeah, Sam can't win. Sam cannot win. Cannot win. And then she won't tell any any of her friends what's going on. And, you know, not right away. And she ends up basically... It starts as insomnia, and then she decides to do this 24-hour film project. And I was going to compliment your your former co- colleagues in the post department. The way they edited that episode to show her mm. grogginess was, was really great. good. Yeah, that was a well-done episode. Well, but it's just watching her basically just Count. short of a meltdown. Yeah, she, she, she slowly is falling apart, and... That that scene on the grass was the only time the mom, uh, Nathan's mom, was a decent person. And I was like, what if... Kid. Yeah, it's not her kid, right. So she was actually a decent person. She sees this teenager losing it and falling apart, and she was really sympathetic, and she really helped her and comforted her. And I was like, wow, this is weird. I was like, what if she found out she was gay? Would she just not touch her? Because like, the, mom, the mom doesn't know that, that, that uh, Riley's gay. And I was like, if she finds out Riley's gay, that's, that's over. Um, would she even let her stay in the house? Because her whole thing is she's letting Riley stay with them because she thinks Riley is going to turn Nathan not gay. Yeah, Because Riley and Nathan are, are, are besties. Right. And so she's like, maybe they'll sleep together. And I was like, yeah, but Riley's gay too. So that's not going to help you. Um. But anyway, it's just like, what is going on? And her relationship with Greta, that's also why I don't like Greta right now. Greta's like all over the place. Greta's like asexual or something. Because she, she just doesn't want anybody to be macking on her. She just, yet she can be in love with somebody. I think she's she, in love. I genuinely think she's in love with Riley. I do too. I do too. But the thing is, she's not ready for a physical relationship with Correct. anybody. Correct. And that's the thing that throws Riley, because Riley's, so far, has been all about the physical relationships. Right. Um, so, I, there's one more episode that I haven't watched, so we'll talk about the finale next time. Well, there's two, we haven't talked about the, why don't we talk about the last two, because the party. Oh, the pre-party, yeah, okay, we can talk about the last two next time. Because <laughs> they right. technically take place on the same day. Alright, we'll do that next week. All right, next up, let's talk about Fear Street. And since Peter didn't pay the piper, I did not watch Fear Street for him. <laughs> we had a deal. I told him I'd watch Fear Street if he watched something that I wanted him to watch. And he was like, I'll eventually watch it. And I was like, I guess I'll eventually watch Fear Street, but it's not tonight. <laughs> so uh, you guys can go forth. I watched the Sarah show. That wasn't the deal. That was not the show that I said I wanted you to watch. I'm just saying, I did watch that. I know, but that was still not the deal. All right, uh, you guys go forth and discuss Fear Street. What did you think? You want good cop or bad cop first? <laughs> I'll do, I want good first. So, Peter, talk, talk about Fear Street. What did you think? 
Um, you know, so I'm a big fan of like I'm a you know I'm an '80s '80s '90s kid, so and I love horror movies, so I like slasher movies, te- especially teenage slasher movies. Friday Thirteen, teenagers, teen- you want them all to die? Sorry. I do. I want them all to die. <laughs> those those horny teenagers, like. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm a fan of them. Like whether they're really dumb or they're like kind of smart or whatever, like or or they're just like extremely well crafted. Like obviously like the classic like Halloween or something. Um, now I had never heard of Fear Street because they're like a series of books by R.L. Stein and R.L. Stein. I guess from what I heard, I was doing some research right before this. He kind of did it on a dare because he had been famous from doing the Goosebumps things which again i don't know of that's not my generation um and he basically was dared to do like a teenage like horror thing and he's like wow I'll come up with this and then it was it was it was a success um so i didn't know anything about fear street the only thing i knew was that netflix was posting it as a as a three-week event and they're they're it's weird because it's i know we talk about tv shows and i'm like it's serialized content but they're about a hundred minutes, so I'm like, I guess it's a movie. It's like three movies. I don't know how we're supposed to think of that. Um, basically, the first one takes place in '94. Second one is '78, and then the third one, which will be next week, is in the 1600s. Um, so I haven't seen that one yet. But it had been getting good write-ups and everything. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, it looks like it looks like a horror movie version of like Stranger Things, and it even has one of the actresses from, or actually maybe two people from Stranger Things in it and um i liked it you know the first one is very much like normal serial killer but then it's not because there's like some weird curse thing going on and i have to say i was very curious i was like okay well wait what is this curse how how does this how are they gonna how are these kids now how are these scooby kids gonna solve the case you know and by the end of the first one they solve it somewhat but obviously it leads to what the second episode is which takes you back to the seventies. What I, one thing I like about this show is that look, I mean, no one is watching a slasher movie for like a lot of insight. I mean, maybe the first Halloween, maybe it follows. It's kind of about like PTSD and stuff like, but it very rarely, most slasher movies are basically like eh, sexual repression, blah, 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 virgin stuff. I mean, it's pretty rote in this. The basic premise of fear street is that, there are two neighboring towns. There's Sunnyside and Shadyside. Shadyside is like poor and has problems. Sunnyside is, you know, affluent and basically a bunch of douches. So what it what I liked about this is that the curse of the show is that a person from the shady side will go crazy and kill people and basically pretty much only kill shady side people. So the rich people in Sunnyside think of it as basically a not my backyard, not my problem. Like, ugh, those people, those shady side people, they're just terrible. The people in Shady Side are like, I don't know, man. I think it's a curse. This guy was a nice guy. Why did he just kill his why did he just suddenly kill seven people? And look, I'm not saying it's deep, but in the world we live in now, it's hard not to see some kind of message on class and everything going on here because it's a, it is essentially I mean, if you read the news, that is basically the world we live in. We tend to think of, like, problems that happen to the poor as their problem. And especially if you're privileged and you just don't know anything about it. So I kind of like that. I was like, oh, I kind of like that it's, like, it's 
manifesting that a monster or whatever, this witch, is actually cursed this town and is hurting them and nobody believes them because they're poor and it's like oh they're poor and educated you can't trust them and of course we of course are watching the show from the point of view of the shady side people um and i i liked that i thought that it's just it's just enough of like it's about something that it gives it just enough substance and then on the other end I thought all the characters, I thought the actors, like I said, I think I think the lead in the second one is was from season two of Stranger Things. She's like the redhead friend that they make. I mean, she's older now. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's been pretty. My girlfriend and I have watched like them back to back. I mean, week after week. And um, I, I really like them. I, I think they're really pretty enjoyable and everything. I will say, Libya, before I start talking and Tom can rip it to shreds. Um <laughs> I will say to Libya, though, when I watched the first episode, I know Libya does not like horror, and I think Yusin doesn't either. The first episode's not really very scary. It's cause, because the, mon- the slasher killer, it's pretty obvious it's a supernatural thing. So I was like, yeah, it's gory, but you'll, you watch Walking Dead, you'll be fine. I will say the second one, which takes place in the 70s, and it takes place at a camp, which means it's very much trying to be like a Friday the 13th thing. It is much more a straight-up horror movie. So, yeah, maybe it's not your thing. I think the first one you would have been fine. Yeah, maybe the second one, it's a little it's a little more leaning into being a, a horror movie, which I like. Um, so, all right, so Tom, go ahead. Why is it the worst, <laughs> why is it the worst thing since, uh, I don't know, Geely? <laughs> <laughs> wow, good callback. Can't comment. No, I I really hated this. Um, <laughs> it was just uh, it's based on YA novels. YA novels target age by definition from twelve to eighteen. This is rated R, and it is a hard R for violence, and there's lots of it and gruesome violence. Well, uh, my girl, question is the store is the store. I don't. I just want to know, is the story enjoyable? The story before in much better films, plural. What's really, like... Go ahead. What's really interesting, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics, 80%. Audiences, 64%. And one of the... Audi- I, read, I read through a bunch of the audience reviews, and one of the things people didn't like about it is how derivative it was. It just didn't bring anything new to the party, and just lots of gore. Now, like I told Peter before the podcast, I will give them props for not killing the black kid. <laughs> since, and since, you know, since his sister is the lead, obviously she's at least biracial. So Correct, correct. Uh, but man, they basically kill everybody else except for <laughs> kids. It's like, holy crap. I mean, I just don't, you know... Was it that scary? No, but it was really, really. I mean, we're talking invincible levels of violence almost. I haven't, well, seen, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Invincible. I can't believe you haven't seen Invincible, but that's a whole other thing. We'll talk about that I, later. I just didn't think it was a good. I mean, it's like if you take a little Blair Witch and take a little. If you take a lot of different better horror films, put them in a Cuisinart, and then put your lead actors in a Cuisinart, that's what this movie is. Ew, why would you put your, oh, I was like, you're putting your lead actors in the, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. No, he's saying just one blood through a bread slicer. Yes, yes, I get you. All right, let's move on, let's move on. Uh, next up, 
we're going to talk Loki, and this mm-hmm. was episode five, the Quint... Well, we have two episodes to talk about if we want. Episodes four and five. Episodes four and five of Loki, and wow, each episode of this show has gotten better and better and better, and uh, episode four was basically uh, them getting off of that rock and figuring out, you know, they both get captured. Both Loki and Sylvie get captured. And But what I did like was Mobius is like, he's on board, he believes them, he steals um, the controller thing, and he's like, okay, I know what's going on, and I know you're right, let's figure this out. And they come through and immediately get arrested again. And I was like, wow. And then when they um, disintegrate Mobius, I was like, oh, no. no. Like, I was I was really concerned. I was like, what? But I knew we only had two more episodes, so I was like, okay, I guess that's where we're going. And then they have the big fight, and they do the big reveal that the timekeepers are actually robots. Which, bum, bum, bum. which, you know, that whole thing at the beginning when they do the intake, and they're like, are you robots? If you're a robot, you'll get disintegrated. Uh-huh. Uh and I was like, is that to make sure other robots don't infiltrate the first robots to sense the other robots? Like, <laughs> um, but I thought that was interesting. And then just to find out that the timekeepers are actually robots. And then they have a big epic fight and everyone's trying to kill everybody else. And that was pretty cool. And go ahead, Tom. That ends with basically Loki getting zapped. Yeah. But being dead he ends up in this some kind of nether world and he looks up and he sees classic Loki played by Richard E. Grant he sees kid Loki holding alligator Loki <laughs> and then we have a, a big black dude who we find out is boastful Loki and that was the cliffhanger from episode 4 and so episode 5 is we've got the Lokis teaming up not knowing whether to trust each other and right. uh, some of them. And then you up... have to work. What is it? A gaggle of Loki's? I like to call it a mischief of Loki's. A mischief of Loki's. Cute. Cute. I'll give you that one. I love the part when Alligator Loki bites off uh, Boastful Loki's arm. <laughs> no, it wasn't Boastful Loki. He bit off the other President oh, Loki. Oh, twin, pres- Loki twin, dark yeah. twin. So yeah, it was. A, he had he had a pres- he had a Loki for president pin on. President Loki. So yeah, he bit off his hand. By the way, pops for all these versions of Loki are now available for pre-order. <laughs> oh, good lord. For what? Uh, you know, pop. You know, the lot of bobbleheads. Oh, got it. But, Yusin, what do you think of Loki? Um, I will, I will back you up on that each episode has definitely gotten better. I haven't been on the podcasts enough to hear what you guys have been saying, but generally I've been told that you guys are all super positive about it. And I thought a little bit uh, in my head, like, it, I mean, this is too strong, so I don't want to get jumped on. But, like, a little bit of, like, the Emperor's New Clothing kind of a thing. I was like, are we watching the same show? <laughs> um, I legit was excited. I know, Libby, you were not excited about Loki, so maybe I'm suffering a little bit from you know, uh, over expectations or overly high expectations. But uh, I was genuinely, uh, you know, I'm not an overall super huge Tom Hiddleston fan, but I love him as Loki. So I loved, so I love him as Loki, but yes, I think it was, I was amused as anyone else 
uh, everyone else about the multi, multi you know, the multiple, um, you know, uh, Lokis. That was, I thought, wacky as anything. And I thought, wow, this show is just going nuts. And I loved it. I just thought it was kooky and I wanted to see what they were doing with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but I also, I think you guys, you know, are super keen on the, you know, girl Loki, boy Loki thing. And here's a thought. I spoke to someone about this the other day. I'm also surprised. I spoke to different people who actually are on the same plane as me. They don't, they like it, but they don't love it. And some people were bored as I was in the beginning. So the relationship that we see blossoming definitely keep going and the bonding of, of, you know, girl Loki plus boy. Her name is Sylvie. Just call her Sylvie. Sylvie. Okay. Sylvie. So Sylvie, um, I don't, I don't love her as an actress. I don't love her as a character. I do find it really interesting, you know, the female-male kind of dynamic. Uh, It's even a little, uh, not lascivious at all, but, like, creepy because it's himself, you know what I mean? So um, I thought that could be actually even more interesting if they explored sort of, you know, the, the concept or construct of, like, all of us have, you know, different shades of ourselves and, you know, we talk about our female, male self, you know, even, you know, in cisgender or, or I don't, it doesn't matter what gender you are, um, having different sides to yourself, a feminine side, a masculine side. So I'm really interested, though. It is an interesting concept. I'm really interested to see where how they end it and wrap it up. You know what I mean? Like, is it him just in love with a different side of himself? I, I personally would think that, that would be more interesting. Making them sort of a love interest kind of creeped me out a little bit, but I'm willing to give them that rope. Um, and I do like it's sweet in that episode in the in the penultimate episode we do get that like loki has gone it has his had his arc his revelation about why he is so mean or mischievous or whatever um and then and then she's very vulnerable saying don't betray me you know um and and so they kind of bond on that level but for me it'd be more interesting if it was kind of a metaphor for an internal struggle versus like this externalized thing but i mean i know it's marvel so we're not probably going to get that but i will say this and i'll jump off um for someone who really did not like the show in the beginning um it was very reminiscent of like terry gilliam's uh, brazil for me and not a good version it wasn't like weird enough it wasn't like you know interesting enough it was way too talky it was like you know that whatever but it has gotten better and i am excited about the final episode but it really needs to come together for me or it will not have been a fulfilling experience for me to have to have invested in the show so i'm giving them a big chance but they need to land the plane with me it's a small runway it's a small short runway for me and they got to be they got to land it precisely or i'm not going to be happy about the you know the the trip but 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 it's definitely gotten better livia i do enjoy it i don't love it I don't love it. Tom? How awesome was Richard E. Grant in basically just one episode? He makes you care about his character. Fantastic. I mean, that's what you get when you put an an Oscar-caliber actor in a great role. Well, to be fair, it looked like a goofy role at first. Yes, that's also what's great. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Loki is falling for a female variant of him. I mean, the ultimate form of self-love. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and she's basically falling for him, too. Which is why 
it's interesting on the on the Marvel um, on the Marvel web one of the Marvel websites. If you you know read to know more about Sylvie on Loki, and if you click through, it says Enchantress. So I think that we might end up with a version of Sylvie as the Enchantress who is tied to Loki beyond this season and where oh. characters turn up next. So they could have a relationship. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it's also funny that Mobius basically tells both of them they're his favorite. Oh yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah he says it behind their backs. Yeah, yeah, I, that was uh, pretty good. No, but I just thought this was... Yeah, I have no idea where they're going. But I also, yeah. I did like the part where they have to enchant, because he's not an enchanter. He's He does illusions. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. And she was like, you're greater, or we are greater than we think we are. And I thought that was a really good sentiment. And sure. it was a really good moment where he found out that he could expand his powers more than he, because she was like, I taught myself how to do this. You can teach yourself how to do this. You know, so I thought that was really cool. It was a good message, too. So, yay. So I'm going to say thumbs up for Loki. I can't wait for the finale. And if you guys have any questions or comments, you can send them to tvcampfiregmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can listen to us on Sci-Fi Radio and Weed Not Plus and iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye.